in a galaxy far, far away, there has been an awakening in the Force. A new entity rising out of the shadows to be our only hope and the Star Wars Destiny website that I have been looking for. Top Deck TCG. This place is the bright center of the universe for all your gaming needs. Top Deck TCG has everything that is Star Wars Destiny. Use the promo code REBEL when checking out to receive 10% off your entire order. Now, that's a deal even the huts can get behind. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Hey, this is Bobby Sapphire from the Hyperloops, and you're listening to I Rebel, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. The tiny forest moon of Endor is home to a race of small, furry creatures known as Ewoks. The Ewoks live in simple tree huts and lead peaceful lives. Forgery of Imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. State your name for the record. Jin Arsa. We have a mission for you. I want to help. Good. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags rain across the galaxy. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. Every day they grow stronger. There isn't much time. I rebel. Welcome everyone to episode 79 of I Rebel. I am Jedi Geek Girl and joining me as always is my wonderful co-host Sarah Evans. Hello there. How are you doing today Sarah? I'm doing really well. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. I am so excited to dive into this episode because our guest for this episode is one that was previously on. But before we introduce our guest, I have to talk about Marvel Champions. Lately, I have been so obsessed with it. I have been in the Discord channel. I've been following the news. I've been watching videos. Have you had a chance to check out Marvel Champions? Only kind of on a top-level basis. I kind of have this thing where I just sort of stick to one card game. I know it's not going to be a competitive card game, but from someone who has absolutely stacks of board games that have been unplayed for years, I'm very skeptical about jumping into a new game until I know I'm going to love it. So I've kind of distanced myself from finding out too much about it at the moment. You know, I try not to do this with games, but it seems like every year FFG does this. Last year it was Keyforge, which since I have dropped it out, and of course this year is Marvel's Champions. It drives me nuts because I try to do what you do and try to focus like one or two games, but it seems like I always get stuck into it. But I guess it's my nature, and I mean it's Marvel. You can't go wrong with Marvel. Yeah, and FFG obviously did a very good job with designing games, so it's very, very easy to get sucked in. But this is not a Marvel Champions podcast. This is a Star Wars Destiny podcast, so let's jump right in. Joining us this week is a man who wanted back on so badly he won a Continental Championship. The one, the only, the 2019 North American champion himself, Bobby Sapphire. Hey, thanks for having me back again. And it's lovely to talk to Sarah for the first time. I think this is the first time I've been on with Sarah. Oh, burn. (laughs) Sarah, I got the tokens you made for Parker Simpson and they are 
amazing. Yeah, he said he's going to send some your way as a little champion sort of present. So I'm glad you like them. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, I got them as well because I bought his Think the Maker kit. So yeah, I have to echo what Bobby said. Yeah, I sat there and painted all those myself. So. Oh man, this was in your hands, and now it's in America. It was, yeah, amazing. Before we begin, Bobby, how does it feel to finally win a major event in Star Wars Destiny? It feels pretty great. It's you know, it's tough because you know, amongst the guys on the team, it's been a running joke that I just can't like can't win a regional, can't win a major, can't win anything. And then it's just nice. It was weird, you know, as soon as the game ended in the finals. You know, everyone started clapping and I just like forgot that's a thing that we do in games because I've never been on the receiving end of that. It was it was really nice and I've gotten a lot of nice messages. So it it just feels good to finally pull one in because I just, you know, I get to the point where, well, I'll just keep making top cuts and that'll be it and that'll be fine. But it feels good to finally win. I know that a lot of us was rooting for you and I was so happy that you won. You deserve it. And I know that you mentioned on ABG that whenever the conversation came up for top players in the game that you didn't feel like or it wasn't deserved that you were in the conversation because at that point in time it was like what did you do but in my conversations and in my thought process you were always one of the better players before you won so just because you won an event doesn't in my mind make you a good player you were a good player long before you won anything so well I really appreciate that like I think I always agreed it's more just it just feels kind of fraudulent when you hear other people talk about it because, you know, being able to pull one in, you know, getting a win, you need a lot of luck on your side. And I certainly had a lot of luck, but it still feels good to get there. I'll say that. It's just like, it's very satisfying and gratifying, especially like Gen Con is such an important tournament for the team. You know, it was the first big event and me and Joe went one, two, and then Andrew won last year and on the back of like a team deck that we all worked on and just being able to do that again, it's just, you know, Gen Con now forever. It already was special, but now it's forever going to be extra special for me. Getting right into the podcast proper, kicking it off outside of Gen Con, because we're going to talk about that later. How has your last couple of weeks been in Star Wars Destiny? Hmm. Well, other than Gen Con immediate, I would say that I've lost about 95% of my games, <laughs> uh, either leading up to Gen Con and playtesting. And then I was like getting a couple games with some decks that I wanted to pick back up yesterday. And I, lo- I just lost all my games. So other than, <laughs> other than Gen Con, I've been losing a lot. But yeah, it, I'm kind of like in a nice spot where I'm sort of exploring some decks that I liked potentially for Gen Con, but they just couldn't cut it. And now I have sort of a lot of time to work on them for regional season. How about you, sir? Yeah, so obviously Gen Con was a big part of the last couple of weeks, sort of from the outside watching it, and that was great to watch and everything. But in terms of what actually I've been up to, it's just kind of just been going to my local. We're all kind of starting to take sort of things a little bit more seriously now as we've got primes on the horizon. So yeah, just kind of getting into a bit more the competitive mindset now, I think, for everyone here. For me, it has been same old, same old. I've been playing Relo, as I mentioned last episode. And since I made a couple of changes, which we'll get into later, I am undefeated with the deck. But that doesn't say a whole lot just because the decks that I play at my locals are a bit unique and not really competitive. But it's nice to actually play a deck I enjoy and win two local events. So outside of that, my sealed league, I played in the second week of that. And I hate sealed so much. I prefer draft over sealed. But 
I am in second place right now. And uh, yeah, just staying still and not really doing much because I don't have to worry about competitive events till primes. And that will be a little ways out. Oh, and worlds, but that's a little ways out. And uh, yeah, just playing Relo because I like Relo. What is it that you don't like about Sealed? Is it just like the random nature of it? The fact you don't get to do, you know, like the tweaking and the deck building quite as much? Yeah, pretty much. You don't have a lot of control with Sealed. Like you get eight packs and in the league, you know, you get more packs and you build a deck from that where with Draft, yeah, it is a limited card pool, but you have more skill in it, I feel like, because you are picking what you add to your card pool, which in Sealed you don't really have. It's like, Whatever I open is what I get. I kind of feel like that a little bit draft now because some a lot of our cards are so specific and the fact that the new draft set doesn't have so many like cards that you can use in any deck. I found that with draft lately, it's literally just been, I'll just put this card in because I need to try and make 30 cards. I mean, it's been a real struggle. So I've kind of felt that more about this block than I have in sort of previous drafts. Yeah, I think Spark of Hope is probably just not a great draft set. You don't feel like you're making interesting decisions when you make your picks. You just sort of like, like you said, Sarah, you're just trying to like, oh, I guess this is kind of playable, so I'll run it. But you're not like crafting. I mean, of course you can, but you're not often crafting some like interesting style of play that some of the older formats had. I do not think Spark of Hope is the worst. I know that I played Draft once and I thought it was okay. I, I think Way of the Force I think was one of them, or Convergence, one of those two were a lot worse. Yeah, I think I remember like Way of the Force being pretty rough, but I don't know, it feels so long ago. Moving into Star Wars in general, I know that you have been busy with Star Wars Destiny, but Bobby, have you had a chance to dive into any Star Wars these last couple of weeks? And if you have, what have you dove into? So I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I've been reading Thrawn Treason, and currently I'm about 65, 68% through it, according to my Kindle. So I'm really liking that. I've been pretty steady doing a chapter a night, sometimes two, depending on how tired I am. But yeah, I've just been really liking Thrawn Treason, and then I've even been thinking about possibly trying to get through Master and Apprentice before the school year starts, because I have a couple weeks. Thrawn Treason is so good. How about you, Sarah? How has the last couple of weeks been for you in Star Wars? We've just mostly been plodding along with Clone Wars, really. We just kind of got to that father-son-daughter episode, so that tied quite nicely into the Gen Con prizes to sort of refresh the memory of where that came from. Yeah, the Mortis episodes, those are so good. Some of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting excited when you see the dagger. It's like, there it is. Those episodes are so deep. Like, you can interpret those episodes like so many different ways and because they're so deep it's like every time you watch it it, there's something new like watching them when they first aired is different than watching them after rebels because you see elements of it in rebels and it ties into it and it ties into the larger star wars mythology so yeah there's a lot there i'm watching it with my other half who's not seen clone wars before but he has seen rebels so now i'm kind of like oh look that's how that links into rebels and he's kind of understanding bits in rebels more so that's kind of really nice to kind of share that with him and get excited when i know something's going to come up that will link through yeah that's sweet for me i was originally going to bring up thrawn treason thrawn treason is so so good i found myself really engrossed in it i didn't speed through it just because i'm busy with other stuff but It's been a while since I've really been into a canon book like that. But I think it's only thematic that I bring up Ewoks. 
And for the first time last night, I watched the first Ewok movie. I think I watched one of them when I was younger, but I don't remember. And yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> What's it called? Caravan of Courage. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, it, you you can tell that it was like shot in the backyard. Like they have earth animals. It looks like earth. The acting is so bad. It's like, I appreciate it because it is like a historical capsule. And I think people should watch it like the holiday special. I think you should watch that at least once. And I am a completionist, so I had to go back and watch it. It has that little charm of it. Like maybe I could have it on in the background. But it's not a movie I would have my attention on 100% because it is so bad. But just because it's bad doesn't mean you cannot enjoy it. Yeah, I'm looking it up while you talk, and I can't wait to watch these. I'm definitely going to download these things. They look great. I'm all in. <laughs> I have absolutely no desire to watch any of them. So, Speaking of Ewoks, did you watch the Ewoks cartoons? I don't think so. I don't remember them at all, that's for sure. Yeah, there's something that I have not seen before and I am generally curious about just because of that time period in Star Wars and stuff like that. And I just had to bring it up because, you know, Ewoks and we had to talk about it. So, Hey Rebels, Bobby Sapphire here. This show is made possible through the generous donations of everyone who's a patron of iRebel. It is the pledges of those patrons and you, the listening audience, that makes iRebel work. If you'd like to find out more information about the rewards you can get, as well as how you can play a part in iRebel, please check out patreon.com slash iRebelDestiny for more information. I myself am a proud patron of iRebel, and I'm happy to share my love of iRebel with you by telling you all about their Patreon page. So check it out, and if you like what you see, become a rebel by becoming a patron of iRebel. Back to you, Sarah and Jedi Geek Girl. Before we dive into your championship victory, Bobby, and your deck, let's step back a bit and revisit a topic from last week. Has either one of you been playing or working on Raylo? Yeah, I mean, our podcast certainly inspired me to give Raylo a second look, and it was the only other deck I brought to Gen Con. And I worked on it quite a bit, and honestly, Sarcastic was helping me with it a lot. And I really, really liked it. It was playing really well. It was obviously like had a pretty, we had it having a pretty strong matchup against Ewoks because of some of the technology we had in there. But then, yeah, I just like, took the conversation we had here, talked to my teammates, and I have a build that I really, really like. And I think I'm going to make it like the deck that I play when I'm just playing for fun and casual right now. Not that it's not competitive, but just like sort of my go-to deck when I just sort of want to unwind and play Destiny. That's been Palpatine for a few months, but I'm excited to give this some more work. That is so awesome. The deck is so fun. And I did the same thing. Sarah, have you had a chance to mess around with Relo? Yeah, I've just been kind of tweaking a couple of cards, kind of seeing how they felt. So I've tried actually Dark Council for a little bit and I didn't hate it. So I'm going to stick with that for a bit and see how useful it is. I'm just thinking maybe getting that extra card could be really nice. And just generally also kind of, I've been back and forth with the three cost package quite a bit. So at the moment I've got Obi Saber in, but that could be Qui-Gon's. And then you've also got Vader's, I think is good shout in the deck. So I'm kind of like experimenting with all those three, just kind of see which one I think I get more value out of. Yeah, I have Qui-Gon's. I think Qui-Gon's is so good, especially with Ewoks round. It's so good into Afra. It just makes you so tanky. And it really makes it like difficult for your opponent to pop all your shields to be able to use a ray special to fully shield up because all the damage is dealt. So like, say you take six 
and then you exhaust the Qui-Gon Saber, so you go back to one, and then you can resolve the Ray Special and go up to three and re-roll it, which is just such a nice little combo to have. You know, I was thinking about adding Qui-Gon into my deck, but I haven't quite found a space for it. In my opinion, Maul lightsaber is so good. I've been thinking about bumping it up to two just because it's been so important in my game. But for my three-cost weapon package, I have Maul's, Beta, and Ray's lightsaber. Oh, you don't have Dagger? I do not have Dagger, no, just because my deck list is so tight. But like last episode, I might have to go back and look at it and stuff like that. But are there any other changes you guys have made since we last talked? I've gone to a Yoda's lightsaber, which I don't think I had. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I really like Attunement. Attunement's been so good that I've been messing with it in my Qui-Gon Jinn deck, and it's been really good there as well. And then the only supports I play now are two Luke's Protection. Interesting. Is that just Ewok tech, or has it been useful outside that? It's definitely not just for Ewok tech. It's more to like be able to not go infinite with Ray's special, but just to always have it online. Like I don't have to pop it every round in a match where like I don't feel it's being aggressive, but it does allow me to just keep it on the table. And then if I'm behind on actions, like in the cadence of a turn and people are popping my Kylo shields, my Ray shields, I can just leave that there and I'll still be able to get Kylo's power action online and be able to go to one shield for Ray's special. So it's just nice to leave on there for free you know, you don't have to pop it if you don't need to. And then it just stays on turn and it presents a problem in the future. And then it doesn't clog up your hands that way either. Yeah, it's a card that got a load of love when it first came out, but I've not seen it probably for like last three sets or so. It lets you dirtle quite a bit where, you know, there's not a ton of mitigation for this deck. So where you can sort of use it as a way to shield up. And again, to like, just, it makes that race special so much better. It just does a lot to mess with what your opponent's trying to do. Like if you look at how they're going to attack you, you can kind of sit back. And then like being able to sit back makes you a lot better against their mitigation because you might be prompting them to reroll or do certain things to get through all your shielding and defense. So then you're not as prone to rolling out and getting like easy picked. I have to say, after we get done recording, I'm going to have to look at my deck because it seems like even though the card pool is I don't want to say small because obviously you have access to heal and villain, but it seems like even with that quote-unquote limited pool, there's so many options. Sarah, have you made any other changes to your deck? I've been back and forth with the battlefield, actually. So I actually think Obi's Hut is the best battlefield for it. But the reason I don't like it and I've stuck with feed is just because in the mirror or against any other blue deck, which is obviously probably going to be running it, if you lose the battlefield roll-off, then obviously they're just going to take theirs. So they get the shield and you get no benefit from it straight away. I've just been stung by that a couple of times now. That's kind of made me reevaluate whether to use it or stick with feed or not. Yeah, but if they use Obi's Hut to get a shield, it turns on your Kylo. So I kind of like, I, I use Obi's Hut and I think mostly I'm okay with that. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's just that very first round, I feel like if they pick my battlefields and take the shields... I'm on a little bit of the back foot there and I have to find a way of generating shields to get the power action off. If I've got feed, they kind of think, oh, should I give her feed? So it prevents a little bit more of an issue for them. Yeah, I've been looking at the battlefield too, but I haven't really been motivated to switch to Obi's hut. I like the, it's not often I get the battlefield, uh, you know, unless they want the shield, but at least with feed, you get something for them giving you your battlefield right away. Yeah, I guess I haven't run into the problem of having 
getting the shield train going just because I have the two Luke's protection, the two polarity, the two attunement, the two pacify. Ray's lightsaber, Jedi lightsaber are all ways for me to get shields on my guys. For me, a couple of changes that I made is I put adapt into my deck, like you said, Bobby, and I took out the it binds all things and I found that it really worked. I really thought it made it work a lot more and I didn't have to worry about my support being discard. And I added in draw closer, which I haven't been able to work just because I have it as a one-off. But so far, like I said, during the introduction, it has been working, but I can still look at the deck and tinker with it a little bit because Qui-Gon, like you said, is so good. And yeah, I think I should add it just because it's so efficient in this deck. Yeah, the draw closer is the part that I'm having the most issue with. Like I have one No Mercy, one draw closer, and one Atiru Strike because I just can't decide. And I think I would just run three of whatever I did decide if I was doing some serious testing. I really like the Tyro Strike, especially when my opponent is trying to burn down Kylo really fast. So it just lets me keep three shields on Ray and then hit them pretty hard with a Ray's die. But that's not going to happen every match. And there's a lot of indirect out there. So there are obviously matchups where you don't want a Tyro Strike and then a draw closer or a No Mercy is just better. So yeah, I just haven't been able to decide. And I think with such a wide meta, it's going to be tough to make the decision there. Yeah, I quite like the idea. I, I'm not running No Mercy, but I quite like the idea with it with Dark Council, just because you can draw up your hand side, especially if you know you get that special keep hitting. But generally, I've been pretty happy with Draw Closer. It's kind of grabbed me the win of a couple of games where it looked like I was out of it. And then it was just like, bam, four damage and it stays there. And it's just come out of nowhere, completely shocked my opponent. So I've been really enjoying that card and I wouldn't take that out. Yeah, I really love the Dark Council with both Draw Closer, No Mercy, and just because of its situation with Neiman Mastery, I find because the deck can't make a ton of money, it's hard to use Neiman Mastery special to its full effect. But with cards like Yoda's Lightsaber and Dark Council only costing one, you really can have a huge impact if you get the Neiman Mastery special. Jumping ahead. Where does Raylo stand after the results of Gen Con? I think it's pretty substantially like in between that tier one and tier two range. Like a few of them made top cut, but they all got completely plowed under by droids. And I think that that's the issue, especially with tropper droids making such a huge impact in the meta, which I think is what will happen following Gen Con, that it's going to be pretty easy for chopper to just kill a character at the start of round two. And Raylo is just not a deck that can lose a character. Jumping right into our main topic for this episode, your victory at Gen Con and the deck, when and why did you decide on Ewoks? Well, the when was probably like two weeks before. I definitely was about 75 to 80% sure I was going to play Ewoks when we recorded our podcast last week, which I hope was evident by my shotgun question answers. The why was just we had such a finely tuned list that would just pour damage. And I think like if you watch any of the stream games where Ewok was on the video, that you saw how much damage the deck did. And it was just completely insane. Like for me to win in all my rounds, so eight rounds of Swiss and then top 16 four in the finals, I didn't face a single two wide list. You know, obviously I didn't win all my games, but I won the tournament. So like I think that shows that even having three wide decks didn't slow down. Like I never ran out of damage. I would like to say editing that podcast after the results of Gen Con, like you can tell, and I'm sure our listeners who listened to that episode noticed that looking back, you were 
going to run Ewoks and stuff like that? Like a lot of your predictions were right on. In Swiss, did you play any mirror match? No, I owe you guys flights. I did not play any mirror matches. Yeah, I was going to say, so... <laughs> I dodged. I played so many droids in Afra that I, there was no room for Ewoks. In Swiss, and I'm sure this is in your article, did you play anything, like, weird or other than norm? Like you sat down and you were like, I don't know about this deck. Yes, 100%. I played um, Maul from Entourage Gaming. He was playing Elite Yoda, Gungan Warrior, Empress Marauder with armored reinforcement. I sat down and it's like, I don't know what's happening. He didn't use armored reinforcement round one. He chose to force wave, but I had the fortune of having a target acquired in my opening hand. So I had the opportunity to either, I think it was like play a rig detonation or maybe play an ammo reserves or remove his force wave die. But I just wanted to make sure I killed Yoda round one. So that's what I did. So I took a force wave, but killed Yoda round one. And he basically scooped right there because there was nothing he could do. Losing Yoda round one, it's just too much. So for me to be able to do 12 or 11 damage with the Ewoks round one on top of a target acquired, it's just such a blowout for any decks with a pivotal character. That's absolutely crazy. What was he going for with the Marauder? Was he going for the hover tank? No, he had a fist. If he had the hover tank, that would have been some spicy technology because he would have slammed that down with AR right away. And then Yoda would have fueled the tank. That would have been, yeah, that would have been a problem. I would be very happy that I killed Yoda round one. And he definitely wouldn't have just like auto scooped if he had a tank out. But yeah, that would have been cool. That was, he was playing fist and he was going for like the entourage, entourage fist package. I don't really know what he was trying to pull with AR. I don't recall exactly. And I wonder if he couldn't just have played a more sound, maybe droids list to get a bunch of resources. But I know like he just couldn't get going because losing Yoda round one is just crazy. But Target acquired such a good card. It really fueled a lot of wins for us last weekend. So you've talked about Ewoks in your experience on other shows as well and in your article. But did you ever second guess yourself before the event? For sure. It's really scary to bring a deck that everyone writes off as a joke and to be as well known. And I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is, but I guess like respected, like when you go to a tournament and you see the whole Hyperloops team showed up, you expect us to have something good and you expect us to be competing. So to play something like Ewoks that everyone else had written off, Cody from ABG said Ewoks had a 0% chance of winning. And that haunted me every night when I went to bed. I was like, I can't, like, am I going to do this and prove him right? Like I would not be able to live with myself that way. So I was, it was very harrowing. And that's why I was like, all right, let me give this Raylo thing one last try. I knew I wouldn't play droids, but if I could get Raylo really working, and it was close, but it just wasn't as positive against droids as I wanted it to, that I just said, you know what? I'm just going to roll with the Ewoks. I believe in the team. I believed in the deck and it paid off, but it was definitely, <laughs> it was definitely scary just because it's like, you don't want to be a joke, you know? I think that is so awesome. And it just shows how good you guys are taking a concept such as Ewoks and refining it and making it not only competitive, but winning the event with it. Do you think that helped you in the early rounds with playing against your opponent where maybe your opponent underestimated the deck? I think there's maybe a little bit of that. I think just because the whole team was on it and specifically, you know, if I'm just thinking about me and my opponents, like most of my opponents know who I am. Like, I know my first round opponent definitely did. He made, made top 32, Norman Horn. I think that he's not going to shrug off something that I bring, right? I could play it off as a joke all I want, but when I start doing 10, 11 damage, 12 damage round one, and I'm switching the battlefield, and he's getting a picture of exactly what's happening, that's, it's going to be easy to take seriously. 
but I know that there were a lot of laughs around the table and a lot of people were like, are you really on Ewoks? You're really on Ewoks. And um, yeah, I think that not knowing how to play against the armored reinforcement version led to a lot of mistakes and just not necessarily bad decisions, but hard decisions. To be honest, like I don't care if you take your battlefield or my battlefield. I'd rather get the across the galaxy and take some shields. Then I don't have to worry about drawing across the galaxy. Or if I have it in my opening hand, I get to reroll Chirpa's die, which I never get to do. I'm not really upset either way. How did you feel about the prospect then that you could have come up against one of your teammates who obviously did know what the deck was going to do? Uh, so I did. I, I did play against Honestly Sarcastic. And I would say going into the event, my chances of winning against him were 5% because he knows that the best thing for him to do is to take my battlefield so he gets the shields. So I can't put a target acquired on R2 or 3PO with the first action. Or like, you know, ping with Hoth Trooper and then, and then put the target acquired on. And then like he knows to just keep disrupting me and shielding up. And like, so he doesn't go for resources. He just always takes the shields and the disrupt. And then he beat me. But I did give him a really close match, way closer than he thought. We had played at a local the weekend before, like the day before uh, we recorded the last podcast. And in the top cut, he's like, all right, I'm going to try and take my battlefield and see how it goes. And I killed his whole team before I even lost an Ewok, I think. So it's really scary for droids when they don't take the shields. And it's really hard for me when they do take the shields, but I still went three and two versus Satine droids. I gave Joe a run for his money, but he was able to shield up in the final rounds to avoid death. In my head, one of my favorite things is that moment that your opponent realizes what you're doing. What would you say? I'm sure you had a lot of them, but like, what was your favorite eye-widening moment from one of your opponents? I think it would probably be like any time that, you know, I activated all my guys and then I used glider attack on Chirpa and they were like, oh, that's three. Okay. So they had taken five, six, seven, eight. And then I just played a strength for six and then they're taking 14 round one. You know, that's harrowing. And then if it's not against the yellow deck, I can pull the pod racer right away. Yeah. It's just like being able to do upwards of 18 damage round one and people are like, what? You can do that much? And I think if you watched the final against Taxter, my opening hand was like target acquired, glider attack, inflict pain, inflict pain. It was just completely disgusting. And then he claimed or something and I was able to pull the crate speeder. Dismantle was offline because his yellow guy was dead. So I could pull the crate speeder. It just like the damage just gets completely out of hand. People have no idea that they're in for a two round game. That's absolutely nuts. In my head, that is problematic in my opinion. Do you find that to be a issue, 18 damage turn one without really much investment? I mean, that's the perfect situation. That's me drawing a glider attack, maybe a kinship, maybe an inflict pain and ammo reserves and strength in numbers. But I think like, you know, most hands, I'm going to be able to do 10 to 12. And then a bad hand, you know, I'm probably just doing like seven or eight. I don't think that it's necessarily a problem just because there are things that you can do to tech against it. Only one person was running a bar and hover tank, like maybe at the whole tournament. And he made top eight and he beat reflex in top 16 because he was just able to get double umbar in game one. And he got double umbar against me round one. And it was really, really scary. And it's like nothing you can do. There's just not enough mitigation when Watt puts out an umbar and tank die and they get to resolve three umbar and dice in the same round. When I first heard that Ewoks were doing well and eventually won the event, I have to say I was not really surprised based on my first impression of the deck. But were you or your team in the beginning of the event ever surprised at how Ewoks were doing or were you expecting them to do as well as they were doing? 
No, I think we expected them to. I don't think we would have played it if we weren't confident in it. When the whole team won round one, I think we were like, okay, this is solid. This is what we thought. And then obviously not everyone went undefeated on the, on the day. Andrew Cox, Reflex, and Adam Ramsey outrun. They had to play in round eight where Andrew was undefeated. So that was like the only time we really ran into each other much in Swiss. I think Andrew had to play Biggie in Swiss as well. But I think we were just all doing pretty well. And, you know, I think just we believed in ourselves, in our process, and seeing that it came to fruition again wasn't a complete shock, no. Jumping into the deck itself, which you can find on your website, thehyperloops.com, we know you had a lot of spice in your deck. How long did it take you to come up with the 30 that you ran at JanCon and who in the team kind of came up with which spice? Yeah, so we were making changes the last night, like the night before. Shane Martin, Serdapi, he brought the list to the team. Like he had some of the things that I didn't like about the deck, which was like a lot of action cheat. And I kind of stripped the squad tactics and the Ewok ambushed. Joe had put me on ammo reserve, so I added that. I found Armed Escort. Armed Escort was like some spice that I found that that's the one that people pick up and read the most. It's an across the galaxy zero cost support that gives everyone guardian. And that was really, really good in testing. The night before the event, Shane had said like, why don't we play one resistance crate speeder? Like it's just so good if we're not playing against the yellow deck and it only costs one and that's just insane value. And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Reflex wanted to play a light speed assault. So a bunch of the guys played light speed assault because you can sacrifice Chirpa and your pod racer and do a damage. But if they have a vehicle out, you can obviously kill their vehicle and do a bunch of damage. So if we played against Falcon Punch, you're sacrificing Chief Chirpa and doing seven damage to the opponent, which is pretty insane for free, quote unquote free. So that was like the spiciest thing that Andrew came up with. And everything else is just sort of, you know, um, I just went through the list with my teammates and we found all the cards that did damage out of hand. So it doesn't seem that spicy other than those. And of course, like Shane brought us the Across the Galaxy start with Armored Reinforcement, which it's quote unquote spicy, but it's also the whole crux of the deck. We wouldn't have played it without it. In my opinion, I do think the deck is spicy just because of the list that we're running around before the event. In my head, because you guys are mad geniuses, there's a lot of, like, you can look at the list and you can tell, like, your mad genius is shining into it. But the deck also has a lot of tricks. What were some of the most common tricks that some of your opponents ran into? Uh, I would say 100% it was glider attack. People would spend all their money and I would immediately glider attack them. I would just, glider attack so good. If people don't know what it is, you exhaust an Ewok to deal three indirect, but people can spend money to block it. There was one game where my opponent like had five or six resources and I was honestly thinking about just rolling out Chirpa and using glider attack to reroll because I, I just I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to battle through all these resources. I might as well just try and hit a Chirpa special or something. And then he played a fist in like, that's such a good trade for me. Like I'll take him playing a fist if I can get three damage off because I can remove one of those dice or potentially two of those dice and feel pretty good about it. Before we move on to our last question in this segment, what did you end the event at? Like, what was your record overall, counting the top cut as three separate games? Oh, it's three separate games? Okay, we have to do math. I went six and two in Swiss, and then I went one and oh in the top 16 because my opponent had a deck list error. Then I went two and one, two and one, two and oh. So I went four, uh, eight, 10, 12, 13 and four on the weekend. Okay. What was your worst matchup? The Satine Droids, I faced five times in Swiss. And I went three and two, one of them against Joe, 
they were I'm pretty sure everyone I played against was like someone from the Hyperloops Discord. So they had Joe's gameplay videos and Joe's deck list. And Joe had released a video for people playing Satine Droids to talk about sequencing. So they were definitely all tough games. Some of them I had, like there was one where I just had like a nuts opening hand where I was able to like ammo reserves and create speeder and strengthen numbers or something crazy like that. But they were all tough. And then obviously I lost two of them. And then I lost a game to Tyler in the top eight when he got the double defoliator round one with Watt. He did 22 damage to me round one. So you want to talk about a problem amount of damage. That sounds rough. And then I lost the first game to Andrew Rothermel in the top four before battling back. Yeah, that doesn't sound bad at all for winning a competitive event. Having usually a deck has a big weakness that obviously is exploited, but your performance, yeah, that's not bad at all in my opinion. I think if more people had the Umbaran hover tank, then it would have been real tough for sure. Were you glad you didn't see any Vaders or did you feel like you could take him on with target acquired? Yeah, we felt really good about the Vader matchup as long as they didn't get the Fear and Dead Men for four. Like even we tested and like even the Fear and Dead Men for three wasn't good enough, but it's the four where they can knock out. If I didn't have shields, (laughs) then they're knocking out four of my guys, which is really tough. So we got to the point where like we had to remove the four no matter what, even though they can roll it back out. And we had cut a bunch of our kind of sneaky removal uh, dice mitigation with um, like we had honorable sacrifice at first and blaze of glory as ways to like kill our guys and proc the diplomatic protection. But as long as we could either get diplomatic protection or keep them off the four side of Vader, or even like using the disrupt on Chirpa or the pod racer to keep them off two resources if possible, like anything we could do to not get fear and dead men, we felt really good about the matchup. In the Vader matchup, does Vader have to get that four Fear for Dead Man turn one in order to win the game? Or do you think if they get a turn two, they can still win? Oh, yeah. If they get a turn two, they're, they're going to be fine. Because unless I have target acquired, they're going to be able to just stuff seven damage on the trooper. Even if they do take a bunch of damage, if they're able to get that four off and just kill most of my guys, they're going to probably be okay. As long as they, it's got to be one of the first two rounds. But if they can get it early in round two, then it's going to be just fine. Yeah, I was just curious because it seems like if Ewoks go unchecked turn one, it automatically puts them ahead. So I was just curious. Yeah, I think it really depends on if I get target acquired and just a really, really broken first hand. But otherwise, ideally round one, but they can definitely claw back round two if they're killing all my guys. So we've probably just touched the surface with your deck and your experience. And as we've mentioned, anyone who wants to know more can read your article on the hyperloops.com. Is there anything else before we move on that you want to say about Ewoks or your Gen Con experience in general? No, just that it was really great and it was fun to like win with a deck that people had written off. And, you know, I got a lot of yub nub chants and it was just kind of fun to have a, you know, a quote unquote goofy deck that you're playing. So that was kind of fun. And yeah, it's just like, you know, Parker sent me the Think the Maker bundle and I, I ordered a bunch of Ewok micro machines and people are but like, even like when I played X-Wing the next day, someone was like, oh, what'd you think about Ewoks winning the event? Isn't that crazy? Like talking to me about Destiny. I was like, oh yeah, it was totally, totally crazy. So funny. So I think people really get a kick out of it being Ewoks. Have you signed any Ewok warriors yet? Because I'm sure you might have people approach you to have you sign them or maybe cheap ship it. No, I haven't signed. I really think I've only signed like two or three cards my whole Star Wars Destiny career. It's not really something people do. Like I've probably signed hundreds of Star Wars CCG cards for people. But I've I've only signed like one or two. And I think like maybe I did it for them. Like I was sending 
Smarly an Anakin's pod racer and I signed it for him and I and I was sending the Gandor his Patreon rewards and I took a deflect and I signed it for him. <laughs> so I don't even think I've ever been asked to sign a card for Destiny. I'm not sure. I think I might do that at will just because Ewoks and, you know, you're a champion. So, and I have a little signed card collection. Most of them are like celebrities, but I've been thinking about maybe extending it to players. But yeah, and Ewoks Warriors is a, you know, it's not a rare dice card. So I think I might do that. All right. Maybe I'll bring you a cheap chirpa, a personalized cheap chirpa for worlds. That would be awesome. Don't forget one for Sarah because I, even though this is your first time talking to her, I'm sure she would. <laughs> Uh, if if uh, history is going to repeat itself, I'm sure I'll forget all about Sarah in about 20 minutes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> look, it, it's always so fun having you on. We're always laughing. Looking ahead a bit, now that Ewoks have won a major event and your list is now available to the public, where do you see Ewoks going into Nova? So we had the Australian Galactic Qualifiers this weekend. And in the standard event on Saturday, Ewok was the most played deck. And then on Sunday, it was one of the top two most played. I don't know if it was the most on Sunday or not. So that shocked me that people were still running it as the, like, the most played deck. That seemed just absolutely crazy to me. It seems like one of those decks, and we don't get this a lot in Destiny, but once it was a known quantity, there's a lot of things you can do. Like all those Jabba decks and all those Afro decks can just play on Bar and Hover Tank now. They can just do that and do like serious, serious work against Ewoks or, or, you know, play, you know, sudden impact or active cruelty or even thermal detonators. So there's a lot of tech out there to beat the Ewoks that I think taking it to a major event is a huge liability. I certainly wouldn't take it to Nova unless we tested against all that stuff and found a way to beat it. Like one of the last cuts we made before Gen Con was Convergence because we didn't think that there was anything we would need to remove from the table. But I think you have to find room to fit those Convergences back in. And maybe if you can do that, then you don't have to worry so much about like an Embarm because you can just Convergence it. But yeah, otherwise, I would be very hesitant to take it to an event. I hadn't planned on making my deck choice secret for Gen Con. But because the whole team was also on the deck and because it's so fragile against specific tech, we couldn't let anyone find out. Like if all of those Afra and Java players had played Umbar and Hover Tank, we would not have succeeded. We probably wouldn't have put in three in day two. So how does um, the rest of your team, if you'd feel like you don't want to say in case you don't want to like, like, let us know what your team's obviously going to play for Nova, but how do they kind of feel now that the secret deck is out there going into Nova and, and prepping for it? Yeah, I think most of us feel that it's just back to the drawing board. I know that like Joe, you know, I would put dollars to donuts that Joe's still going to play Satine Droids. He's been making his changes and so far everything's been really successful. One of the 6-0 standard GQ players in Australia was one of our subscribers and he didn't take all Joe's changes, but he certainly took a few of them and he he went 6-0 at the GQ. And I know that like Joe won't admit this out loud, but I had pushed him to play two electromagnetic pulse cards in his Droids deck and he you know, he ran into cards with droids and vehicles all day and didn't play it. And he won't say this publicly or anywhere where I can copy and paste it, but he definitely regrets not listening to me. I think he's just like continuing to modify that. And everyone else is, I think we feel the same way most people feel where the Destiny Council brought out that chopper droid stack and put two in the top four. And it was very, very impressive. So I think a lot of us just want to work on that. I would like to say it is very important that we mention that two of the top four was the Destiny Council. I know there was a lot of 
conversation before the event of Falcon Punch and there was a lot of debate and I have to give props where props to do locally. Not only did the Destiny Council, which are local to Minnesota, top two of the four of top four, but the guy who is a part of a podcast that you forgot he's a part of, Taxter. Oh my God, I'm never going to live that down. <laughs> nope. No, you know, you're not. Uh, he's also a Midwest player. So a shout out. So the East Coast might have the best players, but three of the four of Gen Con were Midwest. So I got to give props, give props to the Midwest there. All right. I'll, I'll give props to the Midwest. And again, I'm sorry to Taxter. I feel like the last few times I'd listened to KOR, he wasn't on it. So that I just like kind of forgot, kind of forgot that he did it. So my bad. Don't worry, it happens to the best of us. But moving on to you personally, what is next for you? You said that your next major event is Nova, where you are going to be playing X-Wing and helping your teammates test. But do you feel any temptations of trying to go for back-to-back major Star Wars Destiny victories and or wanting to play more Star Wars Destiny? Um, I definitely want to play more Star Wars Destiny. Uh, Like I said, I was playing on TTS last night. So I definitely have that itch a little bit. And I'm like very interested to check out the chopper thing and just try and solve that puzzle. I'm a little tempted to swap to Destiny for Nova, but I really need to keep my eye on the prize. I really need the world seat for X-Wing. This win for Gen Con is just like, it's just like icing on the cake. Like I've, I've already been really happy and proud of what I've accomplished and consistently making top cuts at the majors that I don't need to go win back to back. I'd obviously like to compete at Destiny at the highest level against you know all these people again, and it's my first Nova ever, so I, I wouldn't mind doing that. But I really, unless I win my X-Wing regional next weekend, I'll probably stick with X-Wing for nationals and Nova. Yeah, so huge congratulations, Bobby. It was amazing to watch you. And yeah, well, you're already a good player, and this has really kind of cemented that in more people's minds if they didn't know already. So well done. Yeah, there was one guy on Facebook. He's like, really? Bobby won? That's surprising. I was like, damn it. Still, still I still got to work to impress everybody. All right, here we go. Maybe I will. Maybe I will sign up for Nova. I need to, I need to impress Sun Marcher. I think you know this, but there was a lot of people rooting for you. So, yeah, we were happy to see you win. So, yeah, watching the Twitch chat was really fun. You know, it it definitely made me feel good about the win. My brother was in there being like a ridiculous human and cracking everyone up. So I definitely loved being able to go back and watch all the Twitch chat. It was fun. Heading towards the conclusion of this episode then, what awakening block card would you like to see get reprinted? I got to come up with another one. Um, Okay, let's go deep. I want holdout blaster. I want my guns back. Give me my ambush redeploy guns, please. I agree 100%. And it is a promo too. So it's not like they couldn't. For me, I am going to have to go with speaking of Ewoks. I have to go with kill them all. And for people who do not know what kill them all does, it is a one cost blue villain card that deals one damage to each non-unique character. So it's not as effective as a hover tank, but it's that spread damage and I don't know if it would see play. Maybe it would see play if it was reprinted in Raylo, if Ewoks are still a thing come that time. But I like it, and, and the name's pretty awesome. For me, it's Deflect. I've really missed that card since it's been rotated out. I have really fond memories of one game in a regional where I deflected a um, Shadowcaster 6 oh. back at them after they spent like three cards ditching to re-roll it, and I was just sat there with this card waiting for it to hit. So I have really fond memories of that card. 
Yeah, that's such a good feeling when you have a deflect and someone's re-rolling. I um in the it was like to go undefeated in Swiss of a regional and I was playing Qui-Gon Ayla against Vader Greedo. My opponent re-rolled Greedo's die four times and didn't hit the ranged sides either time. And Vader was at one health. I was like, just roll ranged. I was so frustrated. <laughs> but yeah, I love deflect and I, I love holding it. It's it's just such a feel-good card. I love that card as well. I would love to see it get reprinted. And I mean, we have to reprint it for Gandalf's sake. Yeah, for sure. Best card in Destiny. Moving into our favorite segment of the show, our shotgun question. Just like last week's episode, we are going to make it a little specialized. This week's questions are going to be based around Nova. Are you ready? I think I am. Do you think Nova will have a bigger or smaller attendance than Gen Con? Smaller. By how much? Just a few. Nova is a tabletop convention, so like CCG doesn't necessarily fit into it, but I think it'll probably be like 120. Do you think the quality of players will be higher or lower at Nova compared to Gen Con? Higher. How many Ewoks decks do you predict will be in the top cut of Nova? If it's a top 32, I will say, I don't remember exactly the top cut format, but if it's a top 32, I'll say two, and if it's top 16, I'll say one. What deck will underperform at Nova? I think, I'm going to try this again. I think droids will underperform. No, wait, that's not true because of Chopper. Uh, I think Ewoks will underperform. Which deck that perhaps struggled at Gen Con could now rise up? I think, I don't necessarily think Afra struggled, but I think, I think Afra will figure it out and rise back up and become one of the top three decks again, like it should be. How many of the top 32 cut spots do you think we'll see as droids at Nova? Mm, I would say all the different variants of droids. I bet half of the top cut is droids or just under half, like 45%. Last question, putting you on the spot again. Which deck will win Nova? I think Satine droids will win Nova. And I think it'll be honestly sarcastic. Who's going to come from not making top cut at Gen Con to take everyone with a vengeance. Interesting. Satine over Chopper? I can't see Joe switching to Chopper, but maybe. That would be awesome if your team could take down Nova and Gen Con. Yeah, it would be sweet. And um, I think Joe's ready for a big win. It'll be interesting to see, and we're extending this a little bit, how ABG does. Maybe Nova can be their thing. I think ABG will really, obviously everybody will be watching you guys, but I think ABG, I will be watching them too, just because I feel like if you are a team and you can speak to this, if you win a major event, there has to be that feeling going into the next year's event of maybe retaining or some sort of pressure. I don't know. I can't speak for you, but I don't know. Maybe they have to feel like, okay, we really have to retain or we really have to make an effort because this is our thing. Yeah, I think they want to defend their title, especially coming off like a pretty rough weekend at Gen Con between only having one of them make the cut and then like, Cody having that decklist error that got him a game loss and just not really being ready for Ewoks was just sort of rough. And, you know, I know those guys and I'm in their discord and they've all, they've been grinding all week already. So I think that they want it. And I think that happened last year at Gen Con. I don't remember exactly how they did, but I don't remember them doing really well at Gen Con. And then they worked super, super hard and took down, you know, came in first and second at Nova. So I think that that's probably going to be a huge motivating factor, both not having a great Gen Con and wanting to defend their title. I agree, and I love the ABG guys, but it was so shocking that only Manton made top cut. I was expecting him to do a little better, and 
I know that they were probably disappointed. I know as a huge fan of this, I was disappointed. So I'm wishing them and obviously you guys and everybody who's going to Nova the best of luck. But yeah, hopefully they will do better because not only do they deserve it, but they are obviously capable of it. So for sure. I agree. It is now time to wrap things up. Thank you, Bobby, for joining us. We had a lot of fun as usual. And hopefully it will not be too long before you join us again. Just don't go winning any major events to try to get back on. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll let some other people hang out with you ladies. If people would like to reach out to contact you, where can they find you? Thehyperloops.com or facebook.com slash thehyperloops would be the best way. I go by Bobby Sapphire on all social media and Discord. So you can find me if you need me. Sir, if people would like to reach out to contact you, where can they find you? On Twitter under Miss Sevens, or you can catch me on quite a lot of the Discords under my own name. And you can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl. That concludes this episode of Ari Bell. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, I have been Jedi Geek Girl, and she has been Sarah. Jedi Geek Girl, out. This has been Ari Bell, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. I have been your host, Jedi Geek Girl. If you would like to contact me, please send me an email at iribelldesney at gmail.com. And as always, may the force be with you. Bell is an independent podcast, not associated with Lucasfilm, Disney, Fantasy Flight Games, or any other organization. All copyrights for Star Wars, Star Wars Destiny, and all other properties belong to the proper copyright holders.